0: 50 years for Lonnie and Betty Foreman, 50 years. Lonnie, have you learned anything? <laughs> he says he learned how to pay attention. That's, that's good. And to all of our graduates, I know last week was our graduation Sunday here at the church, but uh, I know a bunch of you graduated this weekend. So again, congratulations for you. Um, And, you know, as we go through our message today, I think there's a lot that all of us, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're just starting out and graduating and starting out in life, or whether we're more towards the latter part of our life, there's something that we can learn from What Paul writes to the church in Philippi. We are continuing the study of Philippians and the secret to living a joyful life because after all, isn't that what we all want? We want a joyful life. And you know in life we can uh, have a lot of obstacles that pop up all around us. How are we going to overcome those obstacles to experience the joy of the Lord? This is a lifelong question. Now, a lady named Smita Singh wrote these thoughts in success.com. She entitled this Four Ways to Turn Obstacles into Opportunities. Sounds a lot like when we did the Win the Day series about flipping the script. But these are some things she said. Perceive obstacles as merely a detour to your final goal. Have the conviction that your goal is achievable. And she quoted actor Chris Burke who once said, I have a motto on my bedroom wall. Obstacles are what you see when you take your eye off the goal. Giving up is not my style. I just want to do something that's worthwhile. And then secondly, Ms. Singh suggests... Hope is not a plan. There will always be obstacles along the way. And she suggests that we create achievable and realistic goals to ensure our success. Many of you are familiar with the SMART goals, the specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time based goals. All of these can be helpful in us, you know, overcoming those obstacles and turning them into uh, opportunities. And then for three, she said, focus on what you, you can do. Uh, not on what you can't do, but on what you can do. And she used Michael Jordan as an illustration there. And you know, we've all heard about how Michael Jordan uh, didn't make his uh, high school team. Now, really, I think they were going into the playoffs and they had tryouts to see if any of the younger players could join the team. Michael Jordan didn't make it and that bothered him for a lot of years. And at the time Michael Jordan was 5 foot 10, but he had no control over his height. And so he worked at getting better and honing his skills so that he could control those. He couldn't control his height, but he can control his skills, and then the rest is history. And then finally, she suggests, we can't always control events, but we can control our attitude. Would y'all agree with that? We can control our attitude. No matter what the situation, we must have a conviction in our goals and purpose. Uh, Obstacles will always be present to overcome. It is our attitude that determines if the obstacles deter us or not. And I would agree with everything that Ms. Singh said. We all face obstacles in life, but she didn't deal with the spiritual aspect of that, which I think is probably the most important aspect of us overcoming those obstacles. And retaining the attitude of joy. And today we see that Paul does deal with the spiritual response to those obstacles. Now, in our work or service for the kingdom of God, we're going to face a lot of obstacles and trials. But these trials can actually serve to enhance our ability to do the Lord's work. And I think even in our lives, not just in our service to the kingdom, but in our life in general, this can be true. Paul experienced the same trials, and he saw them as an opportunity. So in switching the mindset, he was able to overcome each obstacle and make it a tool for opportunity. And hopefully, as we observe Paul's response to obstacles, we can see that they can be turned into tools for us as well. And this is the big idea for the message today. The joy of the Lord comes when we turn obstacles into tools to advance God's work in our life. Now, there are three things that we need to overcome in order to find joy. And those things that Paul mentions in our text are chains and critics and crisis. First of all, let's deal with the chains. Paul had to deal not just with figurative chains, but he had to deal with physical, real chains. Because as he wrote this letter, he was actually under arrest. He was under in house arrest, but he was bound by chains. In Philippians 1, we go to verse 12, and we begin reading. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters... That what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Think about that. It has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, the way Paul viewed these chains was not the way most of us would view chains. Um, Most of us would see those chains as an obstacle, but Paul viewed them as a means to an end. His goal was to advance the gospel. And so even though he was in chains, he could still speak and he would share his faith with those guards, and anyone that came within proximity of his voice. The fact that he was so committed to sharing his faith, even while being chained, gave other people the motivation to proclaim Jesus even more forcefully. So for Paul, the chains actually presented an opportunity to share the gospel. You know, it's easy when there's no obstacle. But when there is an obstacle like chains for him to continue to do the work of God, that was an amazing thing. That was motivational. Now, what chains are you dealing with in life? Chains that bind us can come in many different shapes and sizes, but it's really anything that holds us back. It could be our past mistakes and bad choices that have brought about guilt in our life, and we can't seem to overcome that. Possibly it's the pain over being mistreated, or experiencing loss, or resentment, or sorrow. Maybe it's a lack of self-esteem or self-confidence. The fear of being hurt again can hold us back. We may be focused on past failures which make us unsure of our future. And sometimes a relationship can be like a chain preventing us from moving forward with God. We can definitely understand that sinful choices can be chains in our spiritual life. Now last week we spoke about joy stealers. And these chains we're dealing with can certainly steal our joy. We need to recognize that in part, Jesus came to set us free from bondage. Isaiah foretold that one would come who would loose those chains in Isaiah 58, 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Certainly Jesus came to set us free from these chains. But even while we're dealing with those chains, God can use us in a powerful way just as he used Paul. When you go through the difficulties and the trials of life, you have a story to tell. When you are able to break free of those chains, even though maybe you may still be chained, And I don't know if that makes sense to you. But Paul was still chained, but he was free of the chains because they weren't holding him back. And whatever those chains are, if you can be free of them mentally and spiritually, you can have a story to tell. And others need to hear that story. You see, the chains that held you back can be turned from an obstacle to an opportunity to share a message of faith with others. You can tell people how you overcame that. Whoa, something happened to my... Okay. There we go. I'm falling apart. There's a chain right there. got uh, If they can see us dealing with real life issues, but also holding on to faith with a A deep abiding joy. I'm not saying that we act like we don't have problems. But we can help them. We can actually help them uh, become confident. And proclaim the gospel without fear. The gospel is the message of freedom. And by flipping the script. And seeing the chain as an opportunity. We actually break the chain's power over us. We use its lessons to uh, help others, and in so doing, we discover that the chains cannot keep us from joy. They cannot defeat us. We can join in the process of freeing others like we have been freed. Paul overcame his chains, but he also overcame his critics. If you noticed in life, there's a bunch of critics, (laughs) People always want to criticize, always want to find something to complain about. We mentioned last week how sometimes people can bring us down, they can be those joy stealers. People can be a source of undermining the joy of the Lord. And Paul had to deal with some folks who were not his fans. They actively campaigned against him, but he took a different view. Than most of us would. Let's read verses 15 through 19. Is it true that some, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill? The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me. While I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, Paul uh, revealed that there were some folks who preached Christ out of envy and rivalry. In other words, they wanted to cause problems for Paul by undermining his message. Even worse, they were trying to pile on to his misery. I mean, the guys in chains, under house arrest, Facing potential death. And yet they're still trying to tear him down. He saw their intentions as selfish ambition. They didn't preach out of a desire to win souls or help people. Or even to bring glory to God. Their motivation was strictly selfish. They wanted a following to rival Paul's. On the other hand, he knew that there were others who preached out of a desire to serve the Lord, a a pure motive to honor Jesus and help people. Paul would have every reason to be bitter about those selfish preachers, but he, again, chose a different view. The way he looked at it, it was at least Christ was being preached. No matter if they tried to undermine him or create problems for him, at least Jesus was being spoken of. Even in that situation, Paul found a reason to rejoice. Instead of seeing these other preachers as obstacles, he saw them as an opportunity for people to hear about Jesus. He could set aside his differences for the sake of Christ. Now, I want you to think about your own life. Is it your critics that are getting you down? I I think everybody can raise your hands. This isn't anything bad. How many of you have ever been criticized? Raise your hand. Looks like about 100%. Okay. Uh, Did that make you feel good? No. It doesn't make us feel good. And, you know, we live in a time when people will say whatever comes to their minds. Uh, (laughs) We, we do not live in a civil society anymore. I mean, if somebody doesn't like where you're standing or sitting, they can get right in your face. And if they don't like how you're driving, they will you know, have road rage. And they have no filter. On social media, people can say anything without apparent ramifications. And so bullying never stops. Criticism never ends. It is a constant. And so we need to decide how we're going to handle it. Because if you haven't been criticized yet, I can guarantee you this. You will be. Am I right? I am right. Uh, Will we see that as an obstacle? And certainly it is an obstacle. But can we turn it into an opportunity? In his book, Confessions of a Pastor, Craig Rochelle offers some advice on how to handle critics. Um, It's a fact, he writes, that hurt people hurt people. They usually dislike themselves and criticize others in a misguided effort to validate themselves. If one of these injured souls lobs a criticism grenade in your direction... Diffuse it with understanding. Part of considering the source is seeking awareness of what that person may be going through. And then he shares a personal story. One time I was praying during worship, a few moments before preaching. Eyes closed, focusing on God, I felt someone slip a note into my hand. I never saw who it was, but the note was marked personal. And I thought to myself, someone probably wrote a nice note to encourage me before I preach. A warm, loving feeling settled over me as I unfolded the paper. A moment later, I lost that loving feeling. (laughs) Evidently, the note was from a woman who had tried to see me on Friday, my day off. She took offense at my absence and blasted me with hateful accusations. This happened literally seconds before I I was to stand up to preach. Please don't ever give me a note just before I preach, okay? In that moment, I had a choice. I could internalize the offense and become demoralized and discouraged, or I could ask myself, I wonder what she's experiencing that caused her to lash out. I chose compassion over depression. My heart hurt for her. I knew that such a disproportionate reaction must indicate deep pain, so I didn't take her note personally. Wow. (laughs) Consider the source, he writes, and consider the possibility that the jab may have come from an injured heart. Dismiss it, and move on. If you don't, you may become the very thing you despise. Now, friends, I wish I could say I always handle critics that way. But I don't. Many times I allow my ego and my pride and, you know, to, to take over and I can internalize. But if we can set aside ego and realize something in that person's life is not in the right place. Maybe we can pray that God could move in their life. But don't allow the critic to steal your joy. Along with the chains and the critics, Paul also had to deal with crisis in his life. This is the last obstacle Paul's going to mention in this text. Crisis. And again, crisis can take many forms. But I would guess that death, And dealing with the thoughts of death may be the most serious crisis a person has to deal with in life. Paul had to deal with that too. Warren Wiersbe in his book, Be Joyful, which is a commentary on our uh, Philippians, wrote this. Because of Paul's chains, Christ was known. Because of Paul's critics, Christ was preached. Because of Paul's crisis... Christ was magnified. So let's read verses 20 through 26. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul was not on a pleasure trip to Rome. That's where he was when he wrote this letter. In fact, Paul would never leave Rome again. He was taken there after being arrested and claiming as a Roman citizen's right to be tried before Caesar. He was aware that the verdict could be guilty and he could be declared a traitor to Rome. And that verdict carried with it the punishment of death. So Paul was not blindly living his life. He was in this place, in chains, awaiting this trial. He understood that his life was on the line He understood that he could very well be executed. How many of you would call that a crisis? You're in prison for no real crime. That's a crisis in itself. And you're awaiting this trial by an ungodly man. How did he deal with that crisis? Once again, he took a different view than most of us would at that moment. He would not allow the thought of death to steal his joy. In fact, the thought of his death even brought him joy itself. Let's think, break down Paul's two thoughts about this. First of all, for Paul to live was Christ. What does he mean? As long as Paul had breath, he was going to proclaim Christ. Paul described it as Fruitful labor. That meant that he would have more opportunities to share his faith in Christ as long as he lived. The longer he lived, the more people would hear about Jesus. He believed that in that moment, God was choosing for him to live so that more people would come into relationship with Christ. Even the guards who were watching over him making sure that he stayed bound. He decided that as long as he lived, Christ would be exalted in his life. But then he shared that second thought. For him to die was his personal gain. He believed that death was just a step that he would take to go into the presence of Jesus. He was not afraid of death, Rather, he saw it as much better for him personally. He would no longer suffer. He would no longer have to deal with critics or chains or crisis. He would see Jesus face to face without temptation or sin. Think of it. No more concern about life circumstances. He would be in the presence of pure love. And so when Paul thought of death, he wasn't afraid. He rejoiced over what God had planned for him. Now, friends, I I want you to think about the crisis, whatever crisis, and it's probably not just one. I mean, we normally get hit by multiple crises in our life. Is it a health issue? Is it a scary diagnosis? Is it a fear of the unknown? How about looking down the barrel of months of treatments that can have devastating effects upon the body? How about financial stresses? Would you say that's a crisis for many people? The loss of a job? The loss of income? Not being able to put food on the table? Creditors banging down the door? Is it a relational crisis, a marriage that is crumbling, children rebelling, parents overwhelmed, siblings fighting. There are any number of crises that we may face in life. I was speaking to this wonderful young lady uh, last week who was going and is going through a crisis. And she, she wants to find joy, but she also has to be honest because she really is struggling. That is fair, isn't it? Because as Christians, we still struggle. There are things in our life that can be overwhelming. And I don't think God is saying, well, pretend like there's no problem. Pretend like everything is perfect. I think what God is telling us is that even when things aren't perfect, He is with us and he will get us through. Whatever you're going through, I think God is saying, I will not abandon you. Hang on. And at the bottom of all that crisis, know that I am. I am is here. Find that underlying joy that you can hold on to. And that is the point, friends. If I know that even if this crisis ends in what most people would say the worst thing would be death. I have the faith and the knowledge that I'm going to be with Jesus. And this mess all around us can't touch me anymore. There is no crisis that can take him away from you as long as you hold on to faith. You can be honest with God. You can tell him how much it sucks to be Dealing with this crisis. You can tell him how much it hurts you. You can even tell him that you're angry about it. I think God's big enough. He can take it. But just don't turn away from faith. Listen to what he's telling you. And live your life in such a way that when people see you, they want what you have. Not the crisis, but the Christ. They want Him. Ronald Roheiser wrote this, Crises of every kind will find us. But these crises enter our lives not just as challenges to us to retain our balance and stability, but as invitations to stretch our hearts and minds. Every crisis includes within itself an invitation for us to move from being good people to becoming great people. And I don't think he uses that great in terms of like, you're going to be known by everybody in the world. I think he's talking about being great in your character, in your heart, in your mind. You know, when I was six years old, Our family faced a crisis. Uh, my dad and mom were splitting up due to his sinful choices. And on top of that, he was not supporting us. My mom had to face this crisis pretty much alone. What would she do? Would she just give up on all of us kids? You know, some parents do that. They just, they can't handle it. And they just dump the kids. Would she go down a dark path of self pity and bitterness and just spew vile about my dad? Would she let the obstacles she faced defeat her? No. She resolved to provide for her children. She didn't give up on her faith. In fact, she relied on her faith in those difficult days. She didn't become bitter. Oh, she felt bitterness, but she's told me that she had to let go of that bitterness or she felt like she would never find joy again. I never heard my mother say a negative thing about my dad, even though she had every right to. My mom is the epitome of someone turning an obstacle into an opportunity. She worked hard to take care of us. We didn't have a lot, but we didn't know we didn't have a lot because we had a lot of love. She made the difference. Mom hasn't felt up to coming to church a lot recently, you know, getting through the COVID and she's had cancer and one thing after another and now her back and arthritis and She just turned 93 years old. Isn't that amazing? But she's here today. She's sitting right there. I didn't know she was coming today. But her back has been in so much pain. But she told me, she said, I can either sit at home with pain or I can get out and live my life. And she said, I'm going to church today. Mom, you are the superstar of my life. I want to thank you for showing me and our family the joy of the Lord. Because you showed us that we should never give up. We should always hold on to faith. And that's made a difference in my life. And friends, whatever you need to overcome the Lord will give you the strength to do it. Is it chains holding you back? Is it critics' discouragement? Is it a crisis crushing your spirit? Friends, seek out God's help in turning those obstacles into opportunities. The joy of the Lord is not far away. Father, we come to you today, and I know some of our folks here are are really right in the midst of some obstacles, whether they are chains or critics or crises. Father, help us to, to turn our hearts and our thoughts and our attitudes around so that these obstacles can actually become opportunities for us to share your word, for us to help others even. Instead of stress or sorrow or struggle, we can turn these into praise for you, Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us use our struggles to help others. Father, our goal needs to be the same as that of Paul, to advance the gospel of Christ as long as we have breath in our lungs. And I pray that in all we do, we will advance that gospel and we will experience the joy of the Lord.